You're listening to the official podcast of Church Untitled, located in downtown Vancouver. We are a community set apart to bear His name, in our city, for His glory. We hope that you're blessed and enriched by this message. If you weren't here last week, the uh, the mic, it was like crazy feedback, so we put it down for a little bit, and I just like shouted it out for... 40 minutes in this place. It was so much fun. That being said, I preached a message called Grit and Grace, about perseverance, about endurance, about the part that God has called us to play in the fulfillment of His promises in our lives. Jesus specifically mentions perseverance, that we have been called to persevere in the word that He has given us in our lives. Because we have a tendency to fall away. We have a tendency to change our minds. We have a tendency to waver. But he says, if you want the fruit that I desire in your life, through the word of God, through his word, his promises in your life, you must persevere in them. You must endure in them. And so we talked about grit and we talked about grace, about how it's not about doubling down on our efforts. It's not about holding on and getting a better grip on things. It's actually about allowing the grace of God to lift you up in a place of weakness in your life. That if we avoid the places of weakness in our life, that we simultaneously avoid opportunities for the grace of God in our lives. Right? So the place of weakness in your life isn't something to steer you away. It's something to actually lean into so that the grace of God, the power of God can be revealed in your life. So much fun to preach because it just gets real. And tonight I feel like there's a little bit more that God wants to do within that message. So we're going to go grit and grace part two. Come on, guys. You had it last week. We're going to keep going this week. I need you guys. It's more like Grit and Grace 1.5 because it's just one thing that I could not, I could not get off my chest. I could not leave alone this week. And it's a part of the idea of perseverance and endurance. I want to talk about that today. We're going to read this scripture here, Proverbs 24, verse 16. It says, for the lovers of God may suffer adversity and stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. But the unrighteous are brought down by just one calamity and will never be able to rise again. For the lovers of God or the righteous fall seven times, but they get up over and over and over again. Father, we love you and we are so grateful for your word. God, that it is purposed specifically to bear fruit in our lives, that our lives would not be the same, but they would change forever. So tonight, Lord, we lean into your grace. We lean into your presence in this room. We lean into your promise for our lives. And God, we let go of control of our own, at least for this moment, to hear what you have to say. So we position our hearts, we posture our hearts for your spirit, through your word, to move in us tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, should we get up and do stretches? Okay, so let's do this. Let's, let's lean in. Let's be in this tonight. The word requires us to receive it, to be in a posture so that it comes in our lives and it bears fruit, right? So I want to do this together tonight. Cool? Yeah. All right, thank you, Jen. Can we put our hands together? We got it. So the Bible says, Philipp- uh, I'm sorry, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16, that the righteous get up over and over and over again. What is it then about the righteous that allows us to do this or provokes us to do this? What is it then about the lovers of God 
that get up over and over and over again? Is it that we get like one of those grippy balls and just work it over and over and over again so that our hands get stronger so that we can hang on longer? Is that we have different workout methods than everybody else? Let's watch Spider-Man the other day. Is it that like the radioactive spider comes and bites you and now you have this supernatural ability to persevere and to endure and to hang on? Is it that? Have you been bitten by the spider? Guys, come on. Let's, let's engage tonight. It's, hey, man, I'm going to work you tonight. It's Sunday night. It is 5.56. We're in it. God wants to move. God wants to do something special. So maybe we need one of these right now. You don't think I can see you, but I can see you. You're not blind out there. What is it about God's people that get up over and over and over again? That is the question, right? Because we live in an, in an age where we're filled with different ideas about motivation. You don't have to go far on YouTube to see the next guy coming up and says that he has the secret of, of how to get up out of bed in the morning and make something of your life and do something substantial. We don't know, though, that that's, that thing is going to stand the test of time. And I'm willing to bet that it isn't going to stand the test of time because we have to keep, up, keep coming up with new ideas over and over and over again. And the reason why we have to find something new is because the first thing isn't working. Yeah. Right? We see this with dieting. We see this with fads that we, we, we find something new to lock onto, hoping that this is going to be the thing. Yeah. That this is going to be the, the thing that tips us over. And thank God if it is. That if you find some grace in that idea or that movement or that book, thank God for that. But I'm willing to bet that that's not what Proverbs chapter 4 is talking about. Proverbs chapter 24 isn't saying that the, the Christians are super motivated people. The lovers of God are like super motivated. I don't know about you, but as I follow Jesus, I find myself in bouts of depression sometimes. Yeah. I find myself in bouts of anxiety where it's so hard to hang on. It's so hard to move through. As a follower of Jesus, as a lover of God, I'm still subject to the same things that the people that aren't lovers of Jesus are. Right? And sometimes even more so. We read that Jesus said, because of my word, because of my promise in your life, you're going to come up against some things. So you saying yes to Jesus is not about your life getting easier. In fact, it may get harder. There may be more resistance. And so it isn't that our life gets easier. It isn't that we, we have this supernatural ability to just hang on and double down on our effort. It's not that at all. Last week, though, we talked about the grace of God, about its, its position in our life, the gift of God to empower you in his call on your life. That if he sends you somewhere, he's going to start it, he's going to carry it, and he's going to finish it. But if you look around, and if you observe history, especially in the word of God, there's people that actually don't make it. There's people that actually lean into the things that God say, but actually don't have that fulfilled in their lives. And so what is it about then the people of God that get up over and over and over again? What is the participation that God has called us to? It's this idea that surrounds the language of perseverance and endurance, but it's a different word, very connected though, and it's this word called resilience. Have you heard this before? 
Resilience. The idea of resilience is so special to me because it speaks of this strength, this muscle that has been built in us through trial, through adversity, that teaches us how to get up again. Right? Just watched Creed 2 the other day. Creed 1, one of my favorite movies ever. Balling my eyes out on a plane as I'm watching this movie. Just vibrating with energy because of what is inside this guy, this boxer. Obviously, this is the continuing of the story of Rocky, which is just a picture of perseverance and endurance and and stamina, resilience. That when he gets knocked down, face flat on the ground, blood coming out of his eye, he gets back up. This is what resilience is. And the reason he's able to do this is because he spent time in the gym. He spent time taking knocks and shots on him so that he knows how to access that power to get back up again. I want to read to you the definition of resilience. The capacity to recover quickly from difficulties or toughness. Or number two, the ability of a substance or an object to spring back into shape. The ability of an object to spring back into shape shape. So the problem with the ideas of motivation is that within them so much is about self-reliance, that we're finding some place within ourselves or a way to unlock something within ourselves that allows us to move forward. But the ideas that God presents in perseverance is not self-reliance, it's reliance on God, that we have to lean into what he said, lean into what he's done in our lives. And what's beautiful about reliance on God or resilience is that it's so closely linked with this word that seems so dirty in the body of Christ, this word called repentance, right? Even when I say repentance, what comes up in your mind, right? Like turn or burn, right? Like outside or inside, like repentance is, is good for some sins in life, but I don't really need to do that for others. If I need to walk in repentance, it's because I've done something massive with my life. Something like astronomically wrong, I actually require repentance to get back in. But God actually calls us to a lifestyle of repentance. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The Bible, Paul specifically says, perform deeds in keeping with repentance. Meaning that there's something that you do to posture yourself to receive what God has to give you, namely his grace, so that you can experience all his goodness. So the word repentance and the word resilience are so closely linked. Right? Repentance is such a beautiful thing that we need to understand and circle back to over and over and over again in our lives. And I'm going to read the definition of resilience one more time to you. The ability of a substance or you and I to spring back into shape. I think that's such a beautiful picture of what repentance can be in our lives that we fall down we get bent out of shape we make a mistake and then we spring back into shape the elasticity of our lives puts us in a place again to be walking the way that God has called us to this is resilience this is what Proverbs chapter 24 is saying that I fall down but I have within me the ability to spring back into shape is this not beautiful about what God has called you and I to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 to 9 says, We are hard-pressed on every side. We heard this last week. But not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. 
were persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. When something comes against you because of God's position and purpose in your life, you can spring back into the shape that he's called you to, no matter what comes against you. This is what God has called us to. And so we have this beautiful narrative in the word of God about Israel, God's people. But how so many times God comes and gives his blessing, gives his word, gives his promise. And then they walk away. They do something silly. They refuse the gift and the promise of God on their lives. And then they change their minds and then they repent and then they spring back into shape. And God says, "Okay, I'm going to come send someone to lead you into the place that I've called you to. And so we have this story, this incredible story that I want to lean into in Judges chapter 3. It's the story of this, this judge named Ehud. It's a beautiful story, incredible story, in fact. He's the second judge placed over Israel. The judges were there to govern God's people, govern Israel. It was before they had kings. And so Moses takes the people of God, Israel, out of captivity in Egypt. And he leads them through the wilderness. In fact, it takes 40 years. Crazy story there. And then the, the, the authority of Israel is then placed on this other guy, this new guy named Joshua. And Joshua leads them into the land of promise. And they get into the land of promise. God says to them, you must drive out the inhabitants of this land because the culture that they carry is not the culture that I want to build on. They must leave. And so Joshua leads them into the promised land. And they start driving out the inhabitants of the land. They start driving out the people, but they leave so many. They don't do what God has called them to do. And so all of this trouble starts coming up in the land. And so they actually start adopting and marrying into these cultures and it gets immersed in their culture. And from there, Israel starts to rebel. Israel starts to look different and behave different than God's actual plan for their lives. And so he sends judges to bring the word, to bring correction, to bring behavior that is according to God's standard for them. And Ehud is the second judge that God brings. And we're going to read this in Judges chapter 3, verse 15. It says, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera the Benjamite, a left-handed man. And left-handers in the place tonight. Yeah, this one's for you. Getting a shout out. A left-handed man. The Israelites sent him with a tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now Ehud, our man, had made a double-edged sword about a cubit long. This is 18 inches, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. The details are important here, right? He's left-handed and he straps it to his right thigh. Incredible story. Right thigh under his clothing. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab, who was a very fat man. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon and said, Your majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us. And they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. And the king rose from his seat. Ehud reached out with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. 
even that handle sank in after the blade and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out and the fat closed in over it. You guys with a vivid imagination. <laughs> Stab and then like, and then just takes it in. Like Jabba the Hutt, just it's gone. Even a handle sank in after the blade. Then Ehud went out to the porch. He shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. This is an incredible story, right? Out front, you can make a movie about this. It's going to sell box office seats. Such a dope story. But what I'm intrigued with and what I want to focus on is this. It says this, but on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back. So here's the story, this judge, this, this guy named Ehud, left-handed, right? So he's able to sneak the sword in. They didn't check it because they thought everybody was right-handed, right? So they, 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 they checked the side, the left side that the sword would normally be, but it was on the right. So they didn't know that it was there. He snuck into this place, this king who was his enemy. In fact, the city was Jericho. And if you know the Bible, Jericho was a city that God gave Israel. Now it's being conquered or controlled by the enemy of God. And so Israel sends this guy Ehud in to take care of business, right? For a secret message in the king's belly. And so he gets there, but it says that they started to walk away. But when Ehud, this judge, came to this place near Gilgal, it says that he returned and he went back to the place that God called him. He sprung back into shape and he said, no, this is not God's plan for my life. That is God's plan for my yeah. life. Yeah. So you can understand that this was risky business for him. That if he got caught doing this, even caught with a sword, it's done. It's over. But Israel sent him and God sent him to go take care of business. What was it then about what he saw at Gilgal that made him turn around and go back into the promise and purpose of God's plan for his life. That's what I want to know about. What came up in this guy? We can't just take this as a lie and say, oh, he just changed his mind and went back. What happened there? Have you guys ever read, read the scriptures this way before? Which subtly hints towards something, but we have to dig a little deeper to find out what actually is happening in that place. Surely this is not just a story about a left-handed man who killed someone who was fat. Yeah. This can't be it. So I want to suggest to you a number of things that, that happened at Gilgal, happened at the stone images, what made this man Ehud turn around and go back into the destiny that God had for him. I know this is exciting stuff. You guys with me tonight? So we have this man, Ehud. Ehud was specifically, it says in scripture here, delivered by God to these people. Incredible purpose, incredible plan over his life. He freaked out about it, right? He bailed on it. He could not do what was being asked of him, and he walked away. Gilgal specifically was this place, if you read the book of Joshua, where Israel made it into the promised land, and they camped at this place called Gilgal. Yeah. They had moved from Egypt all the way through for 40 years, the wilderness made it to this place, the river Jordan, and they could not pass this place. 
And when there was time to go into the promised land, the priests stepped out into the Jordan and the water parted. And all of Israel crossed this river and they landed at a place called Gilgal. And if you read Joshua chapter 4, 3, 4, and 5 in the Old Testament, something crazy happened there. God said this to his people. He said, I want to renew my covenant with you. Another crazy story in the Bible. He said, the way I'm going to do this is that every man, you're going to have to get snipped. I'm going to circumcise all of you. This is scripture. Thousands of years ago, this was normal, commonplace. In fact, it was a, it was a, it signified the people of Israel being the children of God. He said, I'm going to renew my covenant, my promise with you, Israel. And the way I'm going to do it is by snip. And so I want to give you three things that Ehud discovered in that place. I'm going to go quickly through the two and we're going to land on the third. What Ehud discovered at that place as he was walking away from the purpose of God on his life was a new beginning. He walked back to this place and he remembered this is the place where God renewed his covenant and renewed his promise to my people all those years ago. Something sparked him and said, hey, wait, I've made a mistake. I've walked away from the plan and purpose of God in my life. But yes, this God that I serve is a God of new beginnings, of fresh starts, of of turning the page. And what he realized in that moment was that if I made a mistake yesterday, God can renew it and redeem it today. If we have this thing within us that knows how to get back up, it's because God has instilled in us that no matter how many mistakes you've made, his promises are made new every single day. His mercy is new every single morning. The old has gone and the new has come. If you're going to have any chance in your life of having resilience, you need to lock into the promise of God that no matter what you have done, he has wiped it clean and you have the ability for a fresh start here and now. There's an incredible story in Zechariah chapter 3, this vision of a priest named Josiah, right? Priest, the man of God, the man who is supposed to be pure. And this priest is brought by Satan himself to the presence of God. Remember, it's a vision. And he's brought to the presence of God. And God says to him, Satan, get out of here. Don't you know that I've chosen this man? Don't you know that I've chosen this woman? It just so happened to be, though, that this priest's robes were completely dirty, signifying impurity, that he had screwed up, that he had walked away from God's purpose for his life, that he was living in sin. And the enemy of his life, Satan, the accuser of the saints, your accuser and mine, brought him towards God and said, God, aren't you disgusted with this person? This person who was supposed to be representing you in this world. And God says, Satan, get out of here. Don't you know that I've saved this person? And then what he does, he calls his angel. He says, get them new robes. Wipe them clean. Let's get this dirt off. Let's give them something new. He never even addressed the issue. So I'm going to show you my goodness by giving you a fresh start. Right here and right here now. God is a God of new beginnings. See, that, that, that idea of circumcision was the representation of God's covenant with his people. His promise for his people. And he was renewing his promise. But the promise that Ehud remembered was an inferior promise to the promise that you and I have today. 
Because the promise that they had was about adhering to the law, meaning that they had to do the right thing in the right way at the right time to please God. Yeah. They lived in sin. They must sacrifice to atone for their sin and please God. But we live in a time where Jesus has come and give us a new covenant. In fact, it says in Hebrews that the old covenant is inferior and is obsolete compared to the new. The new covenant means a new beginning that is based upon one sacrifice to end all sacrifice. And it's Jesus's for you, which means that God has given you a clean start before you needed it. No matter how many you need, it's bound up in the blood of Christ that he's sacrificed once and for all. And he doesn't require your sacrifice anymore. It's time that we as a body of Christ lean into the sacrifice and new covenant of Jesus Christ. That when someone wants to keep you low, you say, no, this sin was paid for already. I'm getting back up. I'm going back to the promise and plan of God for my life. God calls us to turn the page. Yeah, we jacked that one up, but I'm going to redeem it. Just turn the page. So number one was a new beginning he encountered. Number two was the promise of his presence. I've jacked it up over here. I'm walking here. I remember that God, you're the God of new beginnings, of fresh starts. No matter what I've done, I'm going to move forward because you've granted me in your covenant the opportunity to. So I'm going to move forward. But he remembered at that place that God promised that his presence would go with him. So he knew that where he was walking in the plan and purpose of God for his life, he was not going alone. When they crossed the Jordan River, the Bible says that the priests went first. The priests were carrying something called the Ark of the Covenant, which represented and signified God's presence with his people. It was not an accident that the Ark of the Covenant went first. Moses prayed something so significant in Exodus chapter 33. He said, I don't want to go into the promise unless your presence goes with me. I don't want the promise without the presence. And so God said to him in return, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And so when Ehud was running from his destiny, he came to this place called Gilgal and he remembered, yes, God's called me over there, but I'm not going alone. When I wake up and feel like I don't have the strength, I understand that God is going with me. The question is, though, that we have to ask ourselves, is that what we really want? We need a heart check in this moment to say, is your presence actually worth more to me than your promise? Will we be dismissive of his presence when we get the promise? Right? Sometimes we act like God is our sugar daddy. It's funny, but it's like kind of true. I'm here to get what I want. And when I get what I want, I don't really have a need for you. But it actually turns around and bites us when we are in moments like this. That idea and relationship with God is not going to sustain you and give you the power of resilience because it's his presence that we need. We can't have his promise without his presence. And the moment you think the promise is unattainable, you're going to walk away from it. Unless you know that it's his presence that's going to lead you there. We need a heart check. And Jesus says this. He says, it's better that I go from you so that I can send the Holy Spirit. 
so that I can send someone to be with you all the time because if I'm here, he can't be here. And it's better for you that I go so that you have the promise of the presence of God. No matter what I've called you to, I will go with you because you have the Holy Spirit. In this world, you will find trouble, but take heart, I have overcome. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what Jesus says to us. And the last one is this. Bandy, you can come back up. And this whole night was for this. Ehud encountered... Ehud encountered a new beginning. Ehud encountered the presence, I'm sorry, the promise of his presence. And the last one is this, that Ehud encountered the faithfulness of God. Lean in for a moment. Ehud encountered the faithfulness of God. Joshua chapter 4, verse 4 to 7 says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, into the middle of the Jordan, that river we talked about. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them what the, what the fl- sorry, tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. What Joshua was saying is when we get across the Jordan River, I want you to go back and get 12 stones from where the presence of God was and bring them to this side. Just so happened to be a place called Gilgal. And at Gilgal, I want you to set up some stones from the place that I delivered you and place them as a memorial and a monument to every future generation that would see them. And that monument pointed to the faithfulness of God. And so when Ehud was walking away in fear and failure from his life, he encountered this place, this monument that pointed to the faithfulness of God. He could not argue with the faithfulness of God. He could not. It says this in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, Now when God made a promise to Abraham, Since there was no one greater than himself, he swore an oath on his own integrity to keep the promise as sure as God exists. And so he said, have no doubt. I promise to bless you over and over and give you a son and multiply you without measure. He's promising this to Abraham. So Abraham waited patiently in faith and succeeded in seeing the promise fulfilled. It is very common for people to swear an oath by something greater than themselves. For the oath will confirm their statements and end all disputes. So in the same way, listen to this, God wanted to end all doubt and confirm it even more forceful, forceful, forcefully to those who would inherit his promises, you and me. His purpose was unchangeable. So God added to his vow, this promise. So it is impossible for God to lie, for we know that his promise and his vow never change. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time. An unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor. Holding our souls to God himself. 
Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold and where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone in before us. And he is now forever a royal priest like Melchizedek. So when the Bible says that those who are not lovers of God, those who are unrighteous fall and they lay down flat on the ground, it's because they've not found one thing in their lives to anchor their soul to. When the Bible says, though, of the righteous, for the lovers of God may suffer adversity and stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. It's because they found something outside themselves to anchor themselves to. If you're anything like me, I can set off with the right trajectory one day and one thing come my way and I'm going a different direction. One little sliver of doubt, one little word from somebody else that's discouraging, one little look, one little discouraging situation that comes my way that seems opposite to the promise of God in my life. My soul wavers. But it says that Jesus made a promise with himself because he cannot lie. And that promise was with himself and was for you. So God has given us something steadfast. It's something to anchor our souls into. Something that allows us to hold firm and fast to the thing that he's called us to. And it has nothing to do with ourselves. He encountered the faithfulness of God. Has God been faithful in your life? Has he showed himself true? Has he been faithful in your family's life? Has he come through when there was no other way? A couple people in this room. monument that was there in Gilgal was the representation of God moving an entire nation out of slavery through the wilderness for 40 years against all odds. All odds were stacked against them. And if that wasn't enough, they faced an immovable barrier called the Jordan River. And God says, that's nothing for me. I'm going to get you through. But when you get through, I want you to do something. I want you to set up some stones so that whoever sees these stones will be reminded about my faithfulness so that they have what it takes to make it through what I've called them to. That if the promise and purpose of mine is on their life, they have something to anchor it to. See, we're now living in and witnessing and being part of the purpose of God on so many people's lives in this room. That he made a promise of this day that he made a promise of what would come. He made a promise of this city being turned upside down. And guess what? I was in the middle of that promise. I was in the middle of that call. God called me like he called Ehud and he's calling you today to stand in the promise of God in your life and find something to anchor it to. And if you survey your own life and you survey my life and the people around you, you will find that there's nothing within you that you can anchor yourself to so that promise might come true. 
But God says, I have done it and I've done it again. So I want you to find a place where I have been faithful and anchor myself to that. Anchor yourself to that. Find something outside of yourself that I have moved through. And the very thing I did over there, the very thing I did right there, I will do in your life. If only you would find yourself in my promise. See, the old covenant says that you have to perform to make it to the promise of God in your life. And Jesus says, this is not going to cut it. I'm not going to base my promises in your life but on your performance. I'm going to base it upon my covenant with myself so that if you would just hide yourself in my faithfulness, you will find the strength to make it to the promise. Yeah. See, when God spoke over this community, it just so happened to land on me and my wife. I was not asking for it. I did not want it. And I looked within myself and I looked within my story and I looked with what I had in my hands and I said over and over again, I can't do it. I won't do it. I'm never going to make it. And when I would step towards it, I would get to the spot and I would run away. I would cower in fear about what God had called me to. And there was moments you can ask my wife where she would go to work and I would find myself so crippled with fear. But what God called me to, I would go into my closet, my dark closet. And this is not a walk-in closet. Like I had to curl, I'm not a tall guy, but I had to curl up and get in my closet. And I would say, God, I'm so full of fear. I cannot leave my house because if I leave without your presence, without your call, in my promise, the promise of God in my life, I will fail. And I got a, a hold of some video clips, some sermons, and I would call people and I would listen to people I would trust and it would fill me with faith. I would renew the promises of God in my life based upon Him, based upon His faithfulness. I would hear stories and testimonies about Him coming through in these absurd ways in people's life. I would hide myself. I would anchor myself in His faithfulness so that when I heard it over and over and over again, I would have a glimmer of hope that I could too yeah. find myself yeah. in His promise. Yeah. And now today I have my own stones. I have my own memorial. I look out every single Sunday and I see you guys and I say, God, you did it. You took me from over here and you brought me over here. And if you could do it that way, guys, this is only the setup. He's only done this to show himself faithful. We got the rest of our lives to live. If we would only anchor ourselves into his promise, it would fill us with energy and courage to do the impossible in life. That's what he's called you to. God has called us to a life of grit. and He's called us to a life of grace. It requires perseverance and it requires endurance. But it also call it, re requires resilience. A lifestyle of repentance where we get knocked down and we grab hold again to the faithfulness of God. Yeah. The Bible says that Israel set up Joshua made Israel, these 12 tribes of Israel, one representative from each tribe, wrapped stones from the place of God's promise and set it up so that it would be a monument to him. The Bible calls us, though, in the New Testament, living stones. God has positioned and purposed your life to build a monument to his faithfulness so that you walking to the promise and purpose of God in your life doesn't end with you. In fact, it's not even about you. He's so jealous of the purpose and call on your life because it actually brings him glory. 
It actually points to the people around you, to his faithfulness. So if you think that your promise is hinging and contingent on you, you're wrong. It's about him. And his promise remains true. There's more stake in him than there is on you in the fulfillment of your promise. If that promise doesn't come through, it's on his name and not yours. And he's okay with that. That if ship, if the ship goes down, he goes down with it. But guess what? If Jesus is on your boat, that boat cannot go down. Because God is faithful and he is true. That if we're struggling with moving into the promise by intimidation in our life, if we're not able to make it through to the place that he's called us to, he's not asked us to double down and grab harder. He's asked us to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. All we have to do is look around each other and see through story and through word and through worship and his word that God is faithful and that God is true. This church is a monument to his faithfulness. We would not be here unless he showed up time and time again. Because guess what? Whether you know it or not, you have a weak leader. I just told you a story about me like cuddling up in my closet, begging for God to come save me. If you were here at the beginning, we had nothing going for us. Not a thing, except some people willing to hide themselves in his faithfulness. Could it be true, God, that you would do this? Could it be true that you want to save the city? Could it be true that you want to reform things in my life, in my family? Could it be true? We take one step, come another week, and he shows up and he does it. We take another step, he shows up and he does it. Before long, we have this monument to his faithfulness. And guess what? Nothing can stop me now. Nothing can stop you now. He's done it once and he's going to do it again. Thanks for listening to the Church Untitled podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on our latest messages. For more about what's happening in our community, follow us on social media or visit us at churchuntitled.com.